Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello and welcome to The Beacon Podcast. I'm Dr. Lilia Wagner, your host for today's discussion with our guest, Eric Daubert, and he'll be sharing insights from the Fundraising Effectiveness Project and his latest report. Eric, thank you for being with us today. You know, Dr. Wagner, it's such a pleasure to be with you and with the team at Lighthouse Council. Uh, you, you have been a mentor and a colleague to me and with me for many, many years. I think back on your great work with books like Careers in Fundraising and Leading Up uh, that have really set the tenor for the nonprofit sector in fundraising in terms of working with, you know, how do you build a career in fundraising? How do you lead and work with leaders in fundraising to influence? I think about your good work with diversity in philanthropy and achieving excellence in fundraising. And I can't Thank tell you, you what a pleasure it is to be with you and with the team at Lighthouse Council today. Thank you. And it's really a pleasure to have you. The Fundraising Effectiveness Project, which is our topic today, was created in 2006 as a joint project of the Association of Fundraising Professionals and the Center on Nonprofits and Philanthropy at the Urban Institute. However, the roots go much further back, and I'm very excited to talk to you about this because I was truly on the ground floor, maybe even in the basement, of how this project got started very quickly in the early 90s when I was working with the fundraising school and doing curricula. A real genius in our ranks, Bill Levis, came to my attention because he was doing some innovative research and work on fundraising effectiveness and efficiency. And something that I was really looking for because I had started my career in fundraising in a very difficult situation, raising millions of dollars for a small college in the Midwest. And that was for debt, which is never fun. And I was frequently asked, how do you know your efforts pay off besides the money itself. What, what are you really doing? So when Bill and uh, Bill shared with me the concepts of how do we measure how effective our efforts are and how efficiently are we doing this, that started our conversations and they moved on into larger ranks and uh, organizations. And I was so pleased that this took on a lot of attention from our professional field, but I'm sure you can tell us a whole lot more about it. Just very quickly, unfortunately, we lost Bill Levis a few months ago, but his legacy really lives on through this project. So please, Eric, tell us a little bit more about this project and what it's doing right now, what's your connection to it, and how is it going? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up Bill Levis, obviously, kind of the, the great brain behind the project. And Bill's passions for fundraising effectiveness and efficiency go back to the 70s, uh, where he was a data guy at a nonprofit organization. And he, he said, you know, hey, we've got to figure out how to get a handle on this stuff. And he started studying it and playing kind of in his basement on various software programs as they developed over the decades. And in 2006, kind of this project started formally. Bill Levis, then with the Center on Nonprofits and Philanthropy at the Urban Institute, under the leadership of Elizabeth Boris, who was the founding executive of that entity at the Urban Institute, paired up with a, a wonderful woman named Kathy Williams at the Association of Fundraising Professionals. 
And that's when the fundraising effectiveness project really formally started. My involvement with it starts in 2012. Bill and I had been serving on a board together, actually the ACFRE certification board at the uh, Association of Fundraising Professionals. And he asked me if I would be the first uh, volunteer chair. So in 2012, I started as the chair. And in 2013, actually, we created what was called the Fundraising Effectiveness Project Database or the FEP database. It was also called the Growth and Giving Initiative Database. But long story short, some incredible software partners joined this effort. People, uh, organizations like Donor Perfect, uh, Bloomerang, Classy, Community Brands, Kila, Neon One. And now we've got QGive and others. Uh, it's because of the collective anonymized, uh, non-identifiable information that we're able to collect from these software vendors that we now can see firsthand what's going on in the nonprofit sector from quarter to quarter. And we can see what's happening year to year in terms of trends and whatnot. So we now produce quarterly reports. Those quarterly reports are free and you can find them at afpglobal.org FEP if you wanna sign up for free reports. So we'd love to share them with you as would the Association of Fundraising Professionals Foundation for Philanthropy, which is now the organization that houses this uh, great project, which by the way, Jeff Jowdy serves as a board member on. So again, another great lighthouse connection to the project. Okay, let's take a look at what you already mentioned, FEP's quarterly report. Uh, the first quarter of 2023 was released in March. What would you say are the three top takeaways from that report? Maybe our readers could catch a little glimpse verbally as to what they would look for. Yeah, it's a great question. And one of the things I'll say is this first quarter, the, the end of year 2022 report that we put out and then the first quarter of this year, many media mentions kind of picked it up like the sky is falling in philanthropy. And, you know, for me, the sky isn't falling at all. It's just shifting. And some of these shifts are not unexpected. So what the first quarter report tells us is it, it echoes some long-term trends that we're seeing in the industry. And the, some of these trends are not alarming. They're uh, to be expected. And others are alarming. So let me kind of go through them one by one. The first thing that Q1 report found in, in the 2023 issue was that uh, major donors are giving less. Uh, we've been relying on major donors that are nonprofit organizations to be the backbone of philanthropy and to carry the lion's share, if you will, of philanthropy uh, to nonprofit organizations. About three quarters of all philanthropy comes from our top donors, depending on how you measure them. But if we think of that as $5,000 donors and up, we can understand that these donors play a very large role in philanthropy. Well, what you know, Lilia, from your good work as associate director at the fundraising school at Indiana University is that major donors especially follow kind of what happens with the S&P 500 stock index. When stocks do well, assets grow, foundation wealth grows, major donors wealth grows. A lot of good things happen in terms of uh, wealth creation. And in 2022, the S&P 500 went down by, yes, down by over 19%. So for me, first quarter giving being down and even year-end giving being down last year was not overly surprising. When the S&P 500 drops by you know, 19%, it's to be expected that major donors will give less. So that's one thing I'll say is that there is a concern that major donors are giving less to nonprofits, but I would argue there is correlation and causation to the S&P 500 fall in 2022. And the good news is there's good news in the stock market happening. So that's one thing. We'll talk more about that later. The trends that I'm really concerned about are really multi multifaceted and they surround donor retention and donor acquisition. 
We're seeing new donors coming to nonprofit organizations in less and less droves. We're seeing new donor acquisition at nonprofits falling consistently over the years. And what that means is we're not gaining new donors as fast as we're losing the old ones. So what we want to do is reverse that trend. So the first thing I'll say to Lighthouse folks is, hey, when you go out and you're doing your good nonprofit fundraising work, consistently look for new donors. Uh, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, we believe that perfect retention would look like 96%, which means that 4% of your donors you're going to lose. And even in, in, in a perfect world, you'd lose 4% of your donors every year by people passing away or moving away or things like that. So go out and find new donors and have plans to get those new donors in the door. Well, hey, part two of this takeaway is really that we have to find a way to keep those donors once they're in the door. One thing Bill Levis and people like Adrian Sargent and other researchers have taught us is that when we get, get donors in the door, we've got to keep them to show an increase and really boom and boost that lifetime value with donors. If donors only make that first gift and then leave, we don't get the benefit of those repeat giving or those upgraded gifts and even transformational gifts over time. Research shows us that the, the typically the largest gift a donor makes to a nonprofit is seven to 12 years after their first gift is made. Well, that means they have to still be a donor seven to 12 years after their first gift is made. So we're seeing retention numbers that are alarming in this. So takeaway number one is don't be so alarmed that major giving is down. I think it will rebound. Takeaway number two is make sure you're going out and getting new donors in your annual fund work and in your other good fundraising work. Find new people that love your mission, love your vision, love your values, love your plans, and will invest in the great work that you're doing. And then the, the last one is we've got to learn to say thank you better than we say please. Uh, we've got to do a better job with keeping our donors once they're in the door uh, rather than letting them go away. I, I can't tell you, we're, we're coming up on the fourth quarter of this year and I can guarantee you that my email box will runneth over with nonprofit emails asking me for gifts. Uh, obviously the fourth quarter uh, is a great time to ask for fundraising uh, gifts from your constituencies and other supporters. But that being said, you know, those same organizations that are asking me for gifts, I haven't heard from since the last fourth quarter of last year. Uh, and that's the nonprofit that you don't want to be. I encourage you to spend more time on your stewardship than most of you are. Find ways to invest in donor stewardship and, and, and most nonprofits aren't. Uh, so I know Lighthouse Council clients uh, tend to be exceptions to these rules, but uh, in the nonprofit sector, we are not stewarding our donors as well as we should. We can't let our donors feel like cash machines. We have to let them know that we wanna build a sincere relationship with them over time. And that's work that we have to do. And this report shows that that work is yet needing yet to be done. One thing that occurred to me while you were talking about these, which are really very important and relevant points is that when in our household, I took over the donations and for various reasons, uh, obviously I can't give to all causes that approach me. So I decided to write a courteous letter and tell organizations that XYZ reasons I can't give to you, even though I appreciate what you do. So please don't waste your money. And even some major organizations that I won't name uh, keep sending me mailings, and it makes me wonder how effective and efficient they are. I want to ask you a question because of what I've heard in reactions to this tool that uh, obviously I think is uh, one of 
the best things we've come up with in the last decades. But I've heard people say, well, I'm not good at numbers, so I really can't use this. Or it's just one more thing that I have to do. I think I'd rather just go instinctively. And I, I just don't have time for this. So what are the implications of paying attention to this tool? In fact, one person, her husband proceeded to try to debunk the whole thing. And I wasn't sure what the purpose of that was. But how do you see this as valuable to nonprofits? What can they do to improve themselves? You've hit on a lot of those points, but maybe you want to hit a few more here. Yeah, I think one thing we can do is, again, through the benefit of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, Foundation for Philanthropy, and quite frankly, great organizations that you've worked with in the past, like the Adventist World Church and others, uh, there's a tool called the Fundraising Fitness Test, which was developed by Bill during his years. And it's a free tool. You don't even have to be a member of AFP to use it. But what you can do is you can understand your own donor retention. You can understand what's happening in terms of your world of, phil of philanthropy. We've got free tools at the afpglobal.org site where you can run. There's uh, training videos from great people like Randy Fox, another old colleague of Lilia's, and other kind of help desk features, if you will. But if you run this test, you know, I always say what's happening out in the world of philanthropy is interesting. But what's happening at your nonprofit is what's really important to you and the people in the world that you serve. So I share this with you to say, you know, find out what's happening in your world. Understand, are you getting new donors? Are you keeping the donors that you have? Are you losing donors faster than you're gaining them? These are things that we can give you answers to, uh, and you can learn it right on your own desktop. We don't see your information. We don't learn from it. It's purely an opportunity for you to learn and grow and figure out what's working at your nonprofit and what's not working at your nonprofit. If you use tools like the fundraising fitness test, and then you can compare to the national averages, you know, you can learn your own numbers, and then you can look at things like the FEP report and say to your board of directors, hey, guess what? We beat the national average in terms of new donor acquisition. That's what I call a brag point. We want you to have brag points when you learn about yourselves. Uh, almost every fitness test I've ever looked at, there's great things to share, and there's also real opportunities for improvement. So uh, we want you to understand both so you can do good fundraising. And we've got free tools, again, that can help you at afpglobal.org slash FEP. In my experience as both a consultant and a fundraising professional, uh, this tool has added value for talking both to our boards, but especially to our CFOs, who appropriately ask us hard questions. After all, they're the ones that keep the finances of the organization going. I'd like you to put on your psychic hat for just a second. Uh, what do you predict for the rest of this year and how the year has gone so far? Yeah, I'm encouraged. You know, first off, I'm encouraged by the economy. If you look back a year ago, the economy, we had an inflation rate of 9%. The S&P 500 stock index, again, fell over 19% last year. So the economy does affect philanthropy. We know that from research from people like Patrick Rooney and others. So I share this with you to say that, hey, this year, that we don't live in that same environment. Right now, inflation is over 3%, but it's not 9 So that's better. Right now, the S&P 500 is up over 17% as of today. That's certainly a lot better than down 19%. So I think major donors will rebound, but we have to stay in touch with them in good times and bad. So I think it's up to organizations as to how well their fundraising is going to go. 
Uh, we are masters of our own fate to much degree. Uh, and I share this with you to say that if you can go out and have a plan for finding new donors and end up at the end of 2023 or even 2024, if you're planning that far, and I hope you are, to have more donors in at the end of 2024 than you have at the end of 2023. That's a plan. Make it, figure out how to do it, and figure out how to bring people into your organizational universe and into the world of giving. Have a plan to keep your donors. Remember, try to get better at saying thank you than please. Have stewardship conversations where you acknowledge people's gifts, thank them for their gifts in a personal way, report back, tell them how their money was used so they know you need more. If I don't know how my money was spent, why should I give you any more of my resources or dollars? So communicate with your donors and then keep building relationships with people. Keep building relationships with people. This is a key element. We think of our donors as, you know, thank you so much for your gift and, you know, I'll call you next year when I need another one. That is the wrong way to fundraise. You need to look at people as people and understand that when they bring their resources, it's something to be grateful for, celebrated, and treat these folks as investors and things will go very well. Uh, so those are some thoughts that I have for the coming year. You can raise more money if you focus on donor relationships. Remember major donors are not vending machines, they're human beings. Uh, and, and stay in touch with your corporations and foundations as well, because foundations are going to have more money to give away next year than they had this year if the stock market continues the way it goes. So there's some visions ahead from my best uh, old Ed McMahon genie cap or psychic cap, as you say, Lillian. <laughs> well, much of what you say, we might respond by saying, well, that's common sense. That, that makes sense. However, what astonishes me is when I put on my donor hat, not my fundraiser hat, but my donor hat, I find how many organizations do not do these kinds of steps. So I think that no matter how good our listeners' organizations are or how well you think you're managing your program, it really won't hurt to step back and take a look and use this tool. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our allotted time, Eric. Thanks so much for being with us and sharing all these insights so eloquently. Do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, the thing I'll say is, again, thank you, Dr. Wagner, for offering to host me today. Thank you, Jeff Jowdy and Lighthouse Council for the work you're doing in the world to make the world a better place. And as you go forth and fundraise, remember in the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, yours is a noble profession. You're really doing great work out there in the field and your work matters. So just know that on behalf of the nonprofit sector and the communities you serve, you are loved, you are appreciated, and we thank you for your work. So thanks, for, thanks again for having me today, Lilia. Thank you, Eric. To our listeners, you can connect with Eric on LinkedIn. You can learn more about the Fundraising Effectiveness Project at afpglobal.org slash about FEP. And it's definitely worth looking at. This uh, site has been improved constantly as new information, as corrections take place, and as we get feedback from the users. Again, thank you, Eric. Thank you to our listeners. I'm Dr. Lilia Wagner, and we hope to see you next time on the Beacon Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcasts and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.